Hello, and welcome to another episode of Eating Alone in My Car with your host, So Sad Today. Uh, today I'm having a McFlurry, an M&M McFlurry, um, one of my favorite delightful treats of all time. Um, I'm obsessed. Now you might think, why would someone with disordered eating, such as I, waste calories on a McFlurry? I hear you. The thing about the McFlurry, and really all fast food products, is that you know exactly how many calories are in them. Um, And as long as I know the calorie count, I feel safe. You know, I can sort of calibrate, I can readjust the rest of my day's calories around it. without getting too, um, you know, triggering. I don't want to trigger, don't want to trigger, but, um, you know, it's, it's a safe haven, you know, it's a safe haven for me to sort of delve into, um, it brings back memories to, I think my first McFlurry was when I was, God, I wasn't that young, actually. I was, I was maybe 20, something like that. And, um, it was when I was, stoned around the clock as is uh, a ripe ripe time for McFlurries um and I um was riding in a car with um a guy that I was fucking at college actually I was 21 because I had just graduated and he was this guy who like um he used to take his t-shirts and cut off the sleeves to make tank tops um but he rolled amazing blunts and he had a really fat dick, um, and was really nice to me. Um, and, but you couldn't, when he spoke, you couldn't really understand exactly what he was saying because he was always that high. Um, but you know, a lot of times, you know, I was always that high. So it was like really a great match. And, um, he was from New York and we were driving down from my college, I think to New York, maybe after I had graduated, something like that. And, um, I remember getting a McFlurry in the car. Um, or actually, you know what? No, I take that back. We had not, I had not graduated yet. Um, I was, or I was graduating. And um, about a week before my college graduation, um, this guy, you know, I or no, maybe a co- two weeks before, um, it was like this spring fling situation where you like, you know, get fucked up. I mean, I was always fucked up, but it was like, you know, the rest of the school would sort of like rise to meet, you know, the level that I was on or whatever. Like, it's just, I, you know, I was always fucked up. So I loved, I actually really liked holidays or times when, um, you know, when the world drank like I did and the world got fucked up like I did. Um, but I remember, so I had, I had, my period was late right before about two weeks before graduation. And I had taken a pregnancy P test and it looked negative to me. But, um, about three days later I was, it was the spring fling and I was in the bathroom and I was just about to go pick up my best friend from the airport who was coming in for the, the spring fling. And, um, I was like, I still haven't gotten my period. And I reached into the trash, our waste paper basket in in the little house that I lived in with some of my college friends. And I looked at the pregnancy test and there were two blue lines. Uh, Didn't look negative anymore. And I was like, that's fucking weird. Um, And so I, um, so I raced 
um, to go, I went to go pick up my friend at the airport, and while I was on the way, I called with my little Nokia, not even a flip phone, not a smartphone, just a, like, the no, the old Nokia with, with that wasn't a flip phone, it was just sort of like a square, called Planned Parenthood, and was like, I'm pregnant, I don't know what to do, I'm supposed to be graduating from college, and like a week and a half, two weeks, whatever it was, help. And they were like, all right, we'll come in. And, you know, and I was like, I want to do the abortion pill, right? Because I figured it was like a way to avoid abortion. Because I'm not having this person's baby. Like, let it be known. Like, I don't care how great he rolls a blunt um, or how, you know, nice he is or how nice his penis is. Like, you know, it's not happening. I'm not having a baby, period. So um, I was like, okay, you know, it's almost like plan B. I probably caught it really early. I'm just going to do the abortion pill. So, you know, I took my ecstasy. I like got fucked up, did all my shit, whatever. Tried to pretend that I wasn't pregnant. Really just wanted this thing out of me. Um, I go to Planned Parenthood a couple days later and they're like, well, your blood test does say you're pregnant, but you caught it so early that we can't see the egg on the scan. Like it's too, still too small. And in order for us to give you the abortion pill, we have to be able to see it. So you're going to have to come back in a week um, and get this done. And I was like, fuck, because now we're getting really close to like graduation. And like, I want to live my life. I just want this. I want this like little, it's not even a zygote. I just want this thing out of me. I don't want it growing. You know, it's, I'm like, I don't, I don't want it. So a week goes by. Um. Oh, and also they were like, you know, and I was like, well, is the abortion pill foolproof? And they're like, well, it is, but an abortion itself is more, more so. How did this go from McFlurry to abortion? Like, why can't I just tell a light tale? I don't know, but it always does. So anyway, so I decided I was going to get like the regular, the regular abortion, you know, as opposed to the, um, abortion pill. And, um, the guy asked, he was like, so do you, or no, I'm sorry. He didn't ask if he could go with me. He's like, what he said was, he was like, um, would you mind if that day I, I had plans to take acid with my friends? Would you mind if I still did that? And I was like, you know what? I don't mind. Like, I mean, at this point I'm like, it's very clear, you know, that, uh, I don't really have a bond with this person. I mean, um, beyond, beyond the blunts and the sex and the fact that he's usually pretty nice to me other than wanting to take acid that day. And I was like, no, no, no. And you know what? I was like, I don't don't even want him coming with me. I did think it was a little, a little odd that he was going to take acid that day, but I was like, no, no, go. So my friend, Anna, shout out to my friend, Anna, who I don't talk to that much anymore, but I miss you. Um, and we had some, we had some good and bad times. Um, Anna went with me to the Planned Parenthood and I thought it was going to be like a really easy, short sort of thing. I was just like, yeah, we're just going to like do this thing and it's done. You know, it's, it's tiny. I mean, they couldn't even find it last week. Like how intense can it be? Um, so it was a fucking nightmare. Um, for those of you who have had an abortion, maybe yours wasn't as, uh, fucked up an experience as mine. Um, it was a fucking nightmare. I mean, and this was like, like I said, like it wasn't super invasive, I guess, because they really didn't have very much, you know, it was almost like they were basically sucking out like my period plus. Um, but no, it was bad, dude. It was really bad. I don't know what kind of gas or drug they gave me, but I was gone. And then I came to, I'm not totally out of it. Just, I remember I like, you know, 
I, I was asking the doctor about her earrings. Like, she was wearing these earrings, and she said she was from Maine. And I remember I was like, I really love your earrings. And I really didn't love her earrings, but I just was like, I like, while this was happening, I just was like, I need to just have this, like, human connection right now or, like, something. And I was like, I want her to like me. I, I really don't know. I But I distinctly remember they were, like, these ugly-ass, dangly, beaded earrings. And I, like, really didn't like the earrings. And I was like, I really love your earrings. So she was from Maine, or she said she got them from Maine. Anyway, I kind of came to in this room full of like vomiting women, which, you know, I kind of have like a bit of a vomit fetish. Um, I've talked about that in the so sad today book. There's a whole chapter dedicated to it, but it's all theoretical vomit. It's all video vomit. I really don't like being in a room with people who are actually vomiting. I get very nervous. Um, and it was terrible. Um, it was terrible. And then my friend, Anna, when I was finally able to like stand, she drove me home And I think that was one of like my first panic attacks because I really, I was not expecting to feel so dizzy and so awful. And so I think, you know, I I was, I've always been a hypochondriac and I was like, am I dying? I might be dying. And I remember just not being able to catch my breath. Um, And then I also remember um, about, um, and I remember that night too, like I had grown up in a pretty politically liberal household. Um, I mean, it was liberal until I like came out to my mother that I was like dating a woman and she was like, and my family freaked the fuck out later. But, um, you know, so they were like liberal about things that like didn't come to when it wasn't about me, but you know, they were pretty liberal. My mother was always very like pro abortion. My mother's very like a, like a Hillary person. You know what I'm saying? Like she's, she's not a Bernie bro. Like, let's be honest. I'm a Bernie bro. I was a Bernie bro, whatever. But like, you know, my mom's more of like a, you know, she's like a Hillary bitch. She's like, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Like she loved the Clintons. She loved Al Gore. She used to call him Al Gorgeous. Like that was her time, you know? So they're very like sort of centrist Democrat, like, you know, and very like, very like Roe v. Wade. Like she deepened the Roe v. Wade. So I never had any like, and and I didn't have any, um, I was raised Jewish. I don't know what exactly Judaism says about abortion, but, um, I never caught wind of any of it if it was something negative. So I never, um, you know, I never really had any like, uh, hang, I don't want to call it hangups. I never had any personal opposition to abortion. I always sort of felt like, well, if I did it, you know, it would be no big deal as is evidenced by the fact that I was like literally calling Planned Parenthood, like driving on a highway being like schedule my abortion pill. But anyway, so, but that night I was all alone in this house. My friends had gone out cause everyone was always going out cause we were like about to graduate. And all of a sudden I was like, well, I don't believe deeply that, um, you know, we go to hell, um, for abortion. Um, but like, if we do, I have now like crossed a line, which means I am evil person. And like, I was, oh, and of course I was like drinking and using and smoking weed through this whole thing. I mean, I was high out of my fucking mind that night. And I just remember having like this really bad, um, really, really bad, just like terror that like I was awful. Uh, you know, my, my usual, the usual, but like extra, you know, my usual, I'm cosmically awful, you know, like I'm shit, whatever my usual, the usual. But like, but like the huge on steroids, you know, because now I had this sort of extra reason, you know, like to, to know that I was, that I had, I was, I was wrong. I was bad. Um, and it was very strange cause I did not expect that. Like they had said, do you want to get some counseling before you do the abortion? I was like, why? Like, I was like, no, like it's, you know, it's a little egg. Like who can with like this dude's like weird, like 
probably like barely functional because he smokes so much weed sperm like no why would counseling why do I need counseling and then like now and then I was like oh shit so I don't mean to come off at well no you know what I'm not gonna say that I was just gonna say I don't mean to come off as like a cold hard bitch who like but really that's kind of how I was I did not have any preciousness about about sucking the egg out it was only after that I was like Oh God. So after the mix, so anyway, so a week later I went, I was driving down to New York with this guy and, um, uh, in his car and, um, and I, and I, I got stoned at a McFlurry. That was like a wonderful, I don't know why that was a wonderful memory that the McFlurry, but then I remember I got like my first distinct panic attack. Cause I remember, uh, I met his mom. I don't know why I met his mom. It was like weird. I think cause we were staying at his house his mother's apartment, lovely parents. I'm sure they would have not been pleased to know that he had decided to take acid on the day of the abortion, but that's another story. And I wasn't about to tell them, but so his mother, um, was like, his mom was like, we're, we're at, we're at dinner with his mom. It's just the three of us. I don't think his dad was there. And all of a sudden I'm like, I can't swallow my food. Like what is going on? And I'm like, Oh my God, I can't breathe. Oh my God, I'm dying. And, um, I didn't say anything. It was the first of many panic attacks to come wherein I didn't say anything. I also have said things, you know, like there have been times and it, it, it's always weird for me when I say something because it's like, oh God, like this person's going to think I'm crazy or now I can never like say anything again or be, or I'll be the person who always has panic attacks. It's like, I don't know. I, I'm very, I don't want to call it good because maybe it is better to express that you feel like you're dying. Like it's kind of sad if you feel like you're dying and you don't express that. Like, that's sad, you know, that you're worrying more about other people's feelings. But none the, or but nonetheless, I was like, well, um, I'm definitely dying. And it, it was terrifying. And that was, like, really, if, you know, that was one of my first panic attacks. Like, maybe at the, maybe after the abortion was the first one. But that was really one. And it was, I think it was just, like, all that trauma, which is a word, you know, look. Do I call it trauma? I feel like the word trauma is used a lot. Like, I mean did I go to Vietnam and see someone, you know, see my, my buddy's like, um, head blown off? No. So is this trauma? I don't know, but I I think it's, it, to me, it does feel like it was trauma and very unprocessed. You know, I just like got fucked up through the whole sort of recovery process and didn't, didn't process any of it. I just like shoved the feelings down because I didn't expect that I was going to have them. And also I really think the trauma was physical too. Like I was really scared. I had not expected it to feel so fucked up. Um, and it felt real. It was really fucked up and scary. Um, so this is not me saying like, if you have to have an abortion, it's going to be fucked up and scary. I'm just kind of, this was my experience. And, you know, like I said, I was on a lot of drugs and alcohol at the time and I, um, you know, did not process. I didn't process it. So, um, yeah, so that, so that's, that's, um, isn't that a joyous note? So of course the McFlurry brings me to like, um, trauma, of course. Um, but I also, you know, I'm pre-recording this. Um, it's going to be the 4th of July. I think when this airs, um, I will be on July 4th on a plane to New York city, um, because I hate holidays. Um, I mean, I don't hate all holidays. I kind of like Christmas. Like as a Jew, I really like Christmas cause I always wished I could celebrate it. So I'm like deep into Christmas. Like I'm so down with that, but like holidays where, where it's like enforced fun, like 4th of July, nightmare. New Year's biggest nightmare. So I was like, great, I'm just going to book my flight. I'm, I'm traveling. I'm going to New York. I'm just going to book my flight. Uh, so on July 4th, so that I don't have to deal with like 
making plans or not making plans. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like you make plans and you're like, oh God, I got to go like have plans. And then, or like you don't go. And then you're like, oh, I'm such a loser. I'm like the only person who's like not doing anything. So I was like, you know what? Sorry, can't do anything for July 4th because I'm going to be on a plane. I did it completely on purpose. And the thing is, as I said, you know, when I was, you know, fucked up and in my fucked upness, I used to like some sort of events where it was like everyone was getting fucked up. You know, like we were all getting fucked up. Like everyone was sort of hitting that level with me. Um, You know, but I mean more like, you know, when you like tailgating, like I fucking loved that shit or like, um, you know, special events like that. But New Year's and you know, and 4th of July have never been my favorite. Um, I always felt like New Year's was sort of amateur hour. And, um, you know, it's like, it's funny because they say in sobriety that alcoholism is a threefold disease, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. But I find that it's really, it's New Year's, um, 4th of July, and then like Memorial and Labor Day, where I sort of feel like, Ugh, about the merriment and like you know it used to be that I felt like the world um I felt like a total alien in terms of my drinking and using all the other days but then like you know maybe on July 4th I would feel like the world was kind of like doing what I was doing um but then you know but now it's more like in sobriety I mean I kind of feel like an alien in other ways on the planet, like reality's never been my first choice, but in terms of like drinking and using, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well the rest of the time I'm not like waiting for everyone to like fucking catch up or having to hide the smell. Like, oh my God, I used to think vodka didn't smell. Like I used to think people couldn't smell the vodka on me, which is bizarre. Um, I, I do think that no one could ever tell when I was stoned because I was just always stoned and it was like, I was very good at just sort of living. Um, and also I was into like speed for a couple of years, which the thought of now makes me want to kill myself. But, um, but like, I really like, you know, I don't think people could tell that. Um, and then by the time I was into opiates, my alcoholism had just ratcheted up so bad that it was all a big mess of benzos, opiates and, and drinking. Um, but so yeah, it's kind of like, all right, so there are some times where you don't feel, you know, where in sobriety, like I, I do feel a little bit like kind of not part of the general brouhaha. Um, but it's like, I don't know, that's kind of fine too. And I honestly can't say that like in my drinking, um, you know, I can look back and there was like ever a time when like I had a great new year's. Um, there's only, I actually, I've had one great new year's and the rest of them have been ass or nothing. Like now I just do fucking nothing. Cause I'm like, I can't, um, I actually was really, I used to just like make Kathy Griffin, um, on CNN, like my, my shit. So I was like annoyed that she's like not on CNN anymore. Cause I was like, what the fuck am I going to do on new year's? So I like literally, I think I went to bed at like 11 this new year's like way earlier than I like usually go to bed. Cause I was like, I just can't face, I can't face this, but I did have one amazing new year's. And you know, it's like after you have one amazing new year's, it's like no other new year's can really compare. It's like, really, what's the point? I mean, you might as well just die. Um, but the, the new year's that I had that was, was awesome. Um, and it probably, it, well, the new year's I had that was awesome was when I was, I think 20 
two, so a while ago, when I was living in San Francisco after college, um, I lived in San Francisco for two years in a total blackout, and um, before I moved back to the East Coast, I moved to New York. Um, it was sort of like I had hightailed it out of the East Coast um, after college, you know, of course, with that sort of that dream of, you know, that we that a lot of people that we, we seek um, in moving to California, which is like, you know, I'm going to become chill or I'm going to become whole or I'm going to be okay. Right. It was like seeking to be okay. Um, seeking an okayness. This was like only a couple months actually after the abortion that I moved there, I drove back and forth across the country a couple of times that summer. Um, and, um, and then finally ended up in San Francisco and, um, worked a very, very odd series of jobs, which I talk about in, in So Sad Today, the book. Um, I I was a grill cook. That was fine. I, like, wore... The, I mean, the, the the outfit was funny. We used to wear these, like, gasoline attendant uniforms. Um, so I, I, I was that. I was a grill cook at the Askew Grill on Haight Street, which I think is now gone. Um, and then I went door-to-door for the Sierra Club. Um, and then um, I worked for a tantric sex nonprofit for a year, which I've, I've mentioned on the podcast before. Um, it was, it was a new age nonprofit. I won't get too deep into that. Um, and then, um, after that, what I do, I worked at the body shop for a little while. That was fun. The body shop in the Castro. Um, and I used to put like, you know, give, I used to put makeup on lesbians and they'd be like, what the fuck are you doing to me? Um, in the Castro. Um, And, um, then I had an internship at like this magazine that was trying to be black book. It was called Soma. And like, I just, this was when I was like obsessed with cool. And like, I thought maybe I would become a music, um, a music reviewer. Like when my writing really took a turn for the darkness. And, um, so I got this internship at Soma and I thought like, oh man, like I have fucking arrived and like literally like got, um, kicked out of that internship, like two days after I started, um, working there because, um, I hugged the publisher goodbye, this, this older dude. And I guess he thought that was inappropriate. I don't think in terms of, I don't think that it was like, he thought I was sexually harassing him. Um, cause he's like, he was like a 60 year old man and I was like a 22 year old girl, but more that he could just see that like, I was way too much of a like fucked up hippie to be at this like cool hipster publication. But, um, but I did intern that last summer in San Francisco at the San Francisco Bay Guardian, which was also had been a dream of mine. It was a really cool paper, like really cool independent paper. And that was really fun. I did all like the listings for pride and, um, and then I left and and went to New York and, uh, worked at a horror theme restaurant for four months called Jekyll and Hyde. It's still there in the West village. There's a monster that drops down out of the ceiling every, um, I'd say it's either every, I think it's every hour and sings the monster mash a Frankenstein worked there for four months and then got a job in publishing and worked in publishing for a long time as a book publicist. But I digress. So during my San Francisco years, um, during the time that I was working at the weird, I think I was at the weird tantric sex nonprofit at this point, I had the best fucking new years of my life. It was amazing. It was, um, it was an all girls spin the bottle party. And at this point I identified as a lesbian. Um, so that was great. You know, um, all girls spin the bottle and, um, it was just the best. It was just the fucking best. I love spin the bottle. I mean, as someone who is like a romantic obsessive and has like, you know, 
uh, a disease of more, we'll call it, a disease of more. I spin the bottle. I mean, if I could play, play spin the bottle all the time, I mean, I'd be so into it. I just think it's fabulous. And I've loved it ever since I was in seventh grade and we used to play it because I was like, oh my God, I get to hook up with Richard and Kevin and Drew and Matt all in the same night. This is like fucking beyond, beyond, beyond. So I loved the spin the bottle night. Um, It was really fun. And then I had been, I had had this girlfriend who basically I had pursued her pretty heavily and she had been kind of like distant to me. And then finally, when I started, um, when we started hooking up, she got like really attached immediately. And I was kind of like, because like she had just made me pursue her so much. So of course you're going to like build the person up in their head, in your head. But we were together for, I don't know, five months or so. Um, if you've read the so sad today book, this is the hipster DJ that I was dating who always used to tell me, um, that, um, I wasn't cool. She still kind of lives in my head actually. Like she's one of my, the members of the committee in my head who tell me that I'm not cool. It's like my mother, it's her, you know, there's a bunch of people, but she and I actually reconvene. We we've become friends ish over the past couple of years. And now like, she's not really in the committee anymore. Cause I'm like, Oh, she like, you know, she doesn't think I'm like a, I guess she doesn't totally think I'm a loser anymore or whatever. So like, you know, she's not in the committee. It's only when people don't like me that I, I'm listen to what they think and care. Um, if they, you know, if they do like me and things are fine, then I'm like, eh, it doesn't count. Um, but so anyway, so we had dated and like, you know, along this theory of when people don't like you, you're really into them. So I had pursued her and then we started dating and then we were together and it was kind of, I don't know, there was some cheating on my part, but also on her part and you know, whatever. It was what it was. Well, then she moved to New York. And as soon as she moved to New York, I was like, I must have her back. Right? Because you you know that's how it is. It's the fantasy. So anyway, so she came back um, that December and came to the all-girls spin the bottle party. At this point, I'm like, oh, must have her back. But she came with this girl who I just thought was so gorgeous. She was, like, super blonde, super skinny, basically, like, the antithesis of, like, kind of... Uh, or like kind of what I had always idealized as like beautiful having grown up where I grew up around like sort of the wasps and the you know the field hockey playing waifs and whatnot and something that I was like well I just that you know I'm just not her like I'm I'm sort of loud and ethnic and whatever so um so in any event so I did play so and I remember they were both on ecstasy but I didn't know and they were like you're so beautiful and I was like oh my god this is amazing but like I think they were just like really high but anyway so I did end up making out with with the ex and that was great and then of course setting off more feelings of longing and then she went home with this with this girl who she had started dating who she then dated for a long time um and I ended up hooking up with uh I believe in spin the bottle yes uh with another woman who um kind of, you know, I had also kind of pursued her and I had been interested in her, but again, it was like she had been very distant and then, but that night's the night we got together and then I, I came to her house and that night when I went over to her house and we hooked up, I kind of just knew like I still wasn't over my ex-girlfriend or the fantasy of her, or maybe I just wasn't into this new woman as much as I thought I would be, whatever, whatever. Well, I don't know. Um, it ended up that, uh, she, we ended up like dating for, you know, a couple of months. I really should have just ended it that night, but like, you know, it's hard to say no. And I'm a, I'm a slut and like, I'm just, I'm not good with boundaries, you know? And I'm sort of like, yeah, the more the merrier. So we ended up dating for a couple of months and, um, but then ultimately, uh, didn't end great. And so, so that's really the story. I mean, it's not, again, 
another story that like starts out really fun, like all girls spin the bottle and ends in sort of like, um, you know, why fantasy can't be reality and like the death of romance and, um, me not being able to set boundaries. So, you know, there you go. There's my happy story for you of my best new year's ever, but the new year's itself was fucking fabulous. And I loved the spin the bottle so much that I then tried to like replicate it because anything like good and fun and exciting that happens for me, it can't just be once. I'm like, I got to ride this out. Like I'm going to make this happen over and over. Like we have found the cure for life. So I started trying to have like spin the bottle parties at my house um, all girls spin the bottle parties at my house, but it like never, it never really worked. Like you can't go home again. You know what I'm saying? These kinds of things are just, I mean, that party was incredible. It was, you know, we all, a lot of us knew each other and, um, you know, it was like, I don't know. It was just really, it was, it was kind of a once in a lifetime thing. Cause there were a lot of people there in that spin the bottle circle. So that was great. Uh, but you can't replicate it. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's, how life is that's what's so and that's what's so sad I think about um happy things you know and wonderful things is like you can't really replicate it um and I guess perhaps I and maybe other addicts find that a little sadder than others or a little more unfair and that's why we continually try to replicate a feeling or chase the dragon or um you know, replay a moment, a a moment of limerence, a moment of intoxication, you know, a perfect moment over and over. We try to, we try to replicate that. We'll chase one memory, you know, trying to, trying to live it again for like the rest of our lives. So what are you going to do? Um, in any event, what am I going to do? I am going to pack and get ready, um, to go to New York. Um, but I wish you all, um, if not a happy 4th of July, then, you know, a mediocre 4th of July. Um, I hope it doesn't suck. Um, and, um, that is really about it, but I will see you on the flip side. Bye-bye.